Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And joining me for today's podcast is Luke Boggs. Luke, how's it going? Going great. I just spit out my gum. And also joining it, you, your gum better not have the coronavirus, Luke. I guess you're probably by yourself. So I am. You know, it's really great. Uh, you know, if we do get to a situation where you know, we can't leave our homes and should avoid being in crowded places. I live in the country. I try to stay at home as much as possible. I am prepared. <laughs> I, I am naturally prepared for this virus. We could also podcast very easily because we're all currently quarantined. And also joining us in our quarantine today is Megan Payne. Megan, how are you? I'm sad, but we'll get into why later, I'm sure. On today's podcast, we are going to recap for you what went down on Super Tuesday earlier this week. Um, We are recording a little bit later. It is Thursday evening for us right now. So I'm sure you've heard kind of the top line results of what happened on Super Tuesday. So you were probably aware that this was a really big night for former Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, There were 14 states up for grabs on Super Tuesday, and Joe Biden won 10 of them, including sweeping the South in states like Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. Um, He also picked up two states where there were other contenders who were either in the race or recently left the race. Uh, Joe Biden won Minnesota, and he did so, I think, maybe primarily because he got the backing of Amy Klobuchar right before Super Tuesday when she dropped out. But then really surprisingly, Joe Biden also won Massachusetts. Elizabeth Warren was still in the race. We now know on Thursday that she has dropped out. And so we're going to talk about that today. Bernie Sanders, he only won four states on Super Tuesday night, including his home state of Vermont, Colorado and Utah. But he did pick up the biggest prize on Super Tuesday, and that was California. But once all of those results kind of fall out, Joe Biden is actually has a delegate lead at this point. He has 566 delegates to Bernie Sanders, 495 delegates. And they are really the last two viable candidates in this race with the exits of Elizabeth Warren and Michael Bloomberg. Tulsi Gabbard is still in the race. She has two delegates as of Thursday evening. Um, So I wouldn't exactly count her as viable. So let's start with just our general reactions to how this went down on Tuesday. It was a really big day for Joe Biden. Luke, what did you think of Biden's performance on Tuesday? Well, uh, you know, I'm not the first to say this. It's massively surprising. And it's really surprising because of the fact that he had just been so rigging off. And that, as we discussed on this show, if you listen to any podcast that talks about uh, the past presidential primaries, the theory of I'm going to lose a bunch of states until I start winging a bunch of states has never worked before. And I think the difference for Biden and why that this strategy was successful was what uh, we talked about a little bit last time is just the fact that Biden had the just luckiest 72 hours in politics, I think, that I've ever seen in the sense that he found himself in this situation where expectations were through the floor and was able to overachieve everyone's expectations and do it in a way that was validating to the party since he did it in South Carolina, a very diverse state. And there's been all this criticism of how all these, all, all the other states didn't represent the democratic party. And then one that really looked like the democratic party, he killed it and then was able to use that momentum to winning a bunch of places that I frankly didn't expect him to win. The shocking, most shocking one is Texas, uh, which 
is a state that I expected Bernie to win with how well he'd been doing with uh, Latino voters. And the fact that he was able to pull that off, I mean, is is just remarkable. Yeah, Megan, a lot of surprises for Joe Biden on Tuesday. Uh, the one place where Bernie really did seem to hold his ground was in California. Uh, but despite that, Joe Biden does currently lead in the delegate count, I think, um, mostly just off of what I've heard about how it works in California is there are still a lot of ballots to be counted. So I imagine that there are still unallocated delegates from California. Uh, but I don't know if that would be enough delegates for Bernie Sanders to actually close the gap with Joe Biden. So as we move on to other Tuesdays that are a little less super, uh, Biden is going to be in the lead. What were your takeaways from Tuesday? My takeaway is definitely very similar to Luke's. I was surprised about how well Biden performed. Um, but I think the thing that, that surprised me the most, and this is me getting to why I said at the top of the show that I was sad, is how Warren underperformed so significantly. I couldn't say this before, but I can say it now. Um, I have been a Warren supporter since the beginning. I just have not been in a position where I can appear to endorse, but now that she's not running anymore, um, I don't have to worry about that. Um, so I am really disappointed in just how 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 voters didn't come out for her. And I have a lot of opinions and feelings on why that might have been, which I can get into maybe a little bit later in the show. But just my top of mind reaction is major disappointment. I do want to get into a little bit of uh, what... Warren's disappointing performance sort of means for this primary and for the Democratic Party. Uh, but to kind of wrap up here with just sort of recapping Tuesday night and, and beginning to look forward past Tuesday, the one thing that really stood out to me is where increases in turnout were actually happening in this race. For Bernie Sanders, his theory of the case is that he has this uniquely progressive politics that is going to motivate young voters, voters of color, disaffected voters who are typically not very engaged with the political process, that the fact that Bernie ha takes these authentic, courageous stands for progressive values is going to motivate them to come out to the polls, to vote for him, to, to build this political revolution that he's been talking about on the campaign trail. And to me, that doesn't seem to be materializing Youth voter turnout seems to have been disappointing. Um, it, you know, Bernie Sanders, when you look at his appeal among non-white voters, it is typically pretty limited to young non-white voters. And that was supposed to be his multiracial uh, coalition. These issues are supposed to be more important to young people who have struggled in this economy. Luke, that doesn't seem to be where juice turnout is coming from, though. Turnout is is spiking in other areas. What what else should our listeners know about turnout? Well, what's happening with turnout is it's actually a lot higher. It's significantly higher in some places. Now, there's, there's kind of two reasons that's happening. One, the far easier one to explain, is that several states went from being caucuses in 2016 to primaries in 2020 and just for very obvious reasons of not having to stand in a gym for several hours on a you know Tuesday night 
turnout boosted pretty significantly in a lot of states. But the other thing that's been happening is that the turnout in suburban counties, the types of counties that we won in 2018 and that our House majority, the Democratic House majority sits on, has had a really, really huge increase in turnout. And, you know, it's not a giant leap to say that it seems like the revolution turnout is not happening, but the counter-revolution turnout is. And I'm just very shocked and surprised by that because I I would say that, you know, I I am not a hardcore Bernie fan. I'm not a hardcore Bernie opponent, but I generally bought into the idea that Bernie and Bernie's types of type of politics would probably increase to some increase in turnout. And the reason why I think that we have seen this giant increase in turnout is because individual polls are not very useful. But trend lines are very useful and consistency over time in polling is very, very useful. And Democrats have been incredibly consistent in one thing. Not who, what candidate we support constantly, not who our front runner was, but Democrats have been incredibly consistent in saying, We want to support the person who is the best to beat Donald Trump. That has been said over and over and over by pretty much every single voter who's been polled. And after Super Tuesday, and this is really what, I mean, after uh, South Carolina, a very large chunk of the party basically said, we are now telling you that we think Joe Biden is the person that can beat Donald Trump. Please support him. And I think part of the reason turnout uh, increased so dramatically is a bunch of people just sighed, oh, thank God, and just like absolved themselves of trying to figure out who the person to beat Donald Trump was and just came out and supported the person that a bunch of people who, uh, you know, while similar in ideology to each other, while compared to Bernie, are actually quite different if you take Bernie out of that equation, uh, all were saying Biden is the person. I think that really freed people up to uh, come out and vote and vote in the way they did for uh, Biden. Well, in 2018 was kind of a preview of this. The House candidates that became the majority makers for Democrats largely made gains in suburban areas. People like Lucy McBath in Georgia, but uh, people in suburbs across the U.S., Democrats picked up a lot of seats in Virginia in the suburbs around the D.C. area. Um, And a lot of those candidates have put their support behind Joe Biden pretty early in the contest. And a lot of what animated voter turnout in the 2018 midterms was putting a check on the Trump administration. And you do sort of see a continuation of that in the focus on who can beat Trump. I think all of that is a pretty ominous sign for Bernie Sanders going forward, because when these candidates have been vocal about supporting Joe Biden, they have been vocal about the fact that they support Biden because they think Bernie Sanders would be a disaster down ballot for candidates in districts like theirs. Um, And that seems to be, I mean, I don't know that all these voters are thinking about down ballot races, but that seems to be persuasive. I I think they are. Like, to to be honest, I've heard that from a lot of people, uh, even people who like the idea of voting for Bernie Sanders, that they're concerned about that. And I, so I think that just, you know, is doubling down on what I was just talking about of people being like, thank God 
someone is telling us who we should vote for if we want to beat Trump. Uh, it's also a concern about keeping the few checks we have on Trump intact. I want to make a quick counterpoint to what you just said, Luke. I do think people are not necessarily thinking about the down-ballot races as much. I think that we are exposed to a lot of very very, very engaged people who are thinking about it. But I think that general America, the people that don't live and bring, breathe politics all day long, um, they require somebody at the top of the ballot to really give them a reason to go to the polls, right? That's the most important election to them. Everybody else is just uh, lanyap, as we say in Louisiana. So they may or may not even have a plan walking into the, their polling place about who they're going to vote for down ballot, even though even if they know who they're going to vote for for president. And I think that what could happen is that we'll have a candidate at the top of the ballot that isn't inspirational, that people would rather not vote for, but don't necessarily want to vote for Trump either. So they're just going to abstain. And I think that's the biggest danger of having Sanders at the top of the ballot, quite frankly. Well, this brings I, this brings to mind for me a debate that we've been having in Georgia politics for quite some time, um, although it it just feels like it's going in a different direction now than it was uh, for Georgia Democrats before. Stacey Abrams ran in 2018 on a pretty unapologi- unapologetically progressive platform that said that you shouldn't make concessions to the moderate wing of the party to try to focus your efforts on uh, moderate Republicans or people who have fled the Democratic camp to become Republicans. Um, And she ran, she ended up running the closest governor's race that Georgia's had since the 1960s. Joe Biden's theory of the case seems to be the opposite. And that's one that seems to be winning now. But what I believe Stacey Abrams and, and people who sort of hold this theory of turnout might argue is that despite the fact that you know, we've been talking about Joe Biden feels like the less risky candidate. That seems to be the assessment of voters from Super Tuesday. Progressives might argue that Joe Biden is actually the more risky candidate for fear. He would not inspire a lot of enthusiasm among a progressive base and that they wouldn't turn out for him. The thing, the big thing I think has changed is the obsession with with beating Donald Trump. But Megan, do you think that voters might be miscalculating by sort of focusing on just beating Trump as the end goal? Do you think that there's a mistake there or that this that the different environment is just producing a different result? I think that you have to weigh it into the calculus. So I don't think that it's inherently a mistake, but I do think that focusing only on that is a mistake. Um, and so I'll elaborate a little bit. What I mean is that there, and I think Elizabeth Warren is kind of an example of somebody who got sacrificed with somebody focusing or with people focusing only on somebody who could beat Trump. You know, I've heard multiple people say, oh, well, Trump would never even debate Warren. You know, Warren can't stand up to Trump, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I think that if we had taken both in the balance, right, if we had weighed in the fact that Warren was an extremely knowledgeable candidate with a plan for everything and all of that, but also known that she might have had a hard time beating Trump. She may still be on the ballot, but with some with some hesitation. I think that what we've had what we've had happen now is we've got two candidates that are extremely polarizing and for different reasons either are inspirational or are not inspirational, but on paper can quote unquote both beat Trump, which may or may not be because they're men. 
And so I think that focusing too much on that has gotten us where we are right now, if that makes sense. Megan, I think what you raise gives us this opportunity to kind of do this postmortem on the Warren campaign. I think we are relatively unified in uh, being disappointed about Elizabeth Warren's performance and, and the fact that her campaign didn't really seem to get traction. Um, and I think a lot of people like us are disappointed. Uh, Vox put up this article the other day uh, saying that um, everybody like you seems to like Warren. So why isn't she doing better? The highly engaged, uh, politically active demographic who spends a lot of time listening to podcasts and reading websites like Vox and 538 probably had a lot of reasons to like Warren. Um, and, and it seems pretty clear that that, while it seems like a big demographic to us, uh, is actually a relatively limited one in the electorate. Megan, what went wrong for Elizabeth Warren or in what ways was Elizabeth Warren done wrong by this process? I think that what went wrong for Elizabeth Warren is that she's a woman. Um, and I say that knowing that it sounds a little bit inflammatory, but honestly, I, I really truly believe that that's why she wasn't considered electable. I've been hearing, as I mentioned earlier, throughout this election process that, oh, she can't stand up to Trump. Um, she's not electable. She's this. She's that. She's shrill. Oh, that's my favorite. She's shrill. Um, she sounds condescending. You know, all of these things about Warren and her like ability to lead rather than Warren and the fact that she's got her shit together and that she's got a plan and that she really, truly can make a difference and and change things for the better instead we hear you know we hear things like what i just said before and one of the the things that like really gets me is that we're still dealing with bias as a party as a nation as a world and i really think that misogyny is what got elizabeth warren at, at the end of the day she was considered unelectable for no good reason she was considered to be a know-it-all and She's not. She is She is a great candidate who people just didn't stand up for, who people decided prematurely was unelectable and so therefore made her unelectable by not voting for her. How much of that do we think is driven by sort of a traumatic reaction to the last super qualified woman with plans who seemed to have the skill set that was sort of ideally suited for the job? not actually winning in the end. I mean, how much of this is is a response to Hillary Clinton's loss in 2016, do you think? I think some of it's definitely a response related to, you know, the ability to to beat Trump, right? Cuz while Clinton beat Trump in the popular vote, she didn't beat him um in the electoral college. And so I think we are a little bit gun shy about having it happen again, but at the same time, we did all of this same stuff to Hillary. And she actually had the opportunity to counter some of it. You know, she in her book talks about how she had to dress and change how she acted and change how she spoke to become more relatable. We also had years and years in, you know, major positions for her to get to know her and to see her evolve that way. With Warren, yeah, she's been a senator for a long time, but she hasn't necessarily been top of mind until the past four years or so. So she didn't have that time to 
really prove to us that she was capable of doing the job. I think that combined with some other factors to hurt the Warren campaign as well, she seemed really invested in getting Grasstop's activists to validate her and really seemed to be persuasive among activists who were working on racial justice issues, on economic justice issues. You know, I I keep looking for these candidates who can do multiple things, who who have the plans, who can be effective players within the party, rally elite people in the party to support them, and who can lay out the message that you sort of think Democrats are looking for, a, a progressive message, one that takes on power structures that have held too many people back. And she seemed to have sort of that sweet spot at the intersection of all three of those things. But that also seemed to be to her detriment, too, because that focus on getting elite activist support did not translate into meaningful levels of support from voters of color because of this obsession with beating Donald Trump rather than paying close attention to the issues that that maybe are most impactful, even if they don't feel the most important personally. Um, The fact that she tried to be a very progressive candidate, but didn't go as far left as Bernie did not embrace socialism and, and sort of seemed to be a step to Bernie's right on issues like Medicare for all made her appear too progressive to some elements of the party and not progressive enough to other elements of the party. Um, And then, then I think all of that combines with what we talked about with the focus on beating Trump and, and the memories of Clinton not doing it. Um, You know, in some ways it looked like she played her, played her cards the best she could given who she was. um, And it it just didn't work. And keep in mind that we live in a world where women have to be asked to run for election seven seven times before they even consider running, where women have to be perfect, where men can be good enough, where women have to basically prove that they are completely infallible, where men are given more benefits of the doubt. That's just what we are seeing over and over again in this world that we live in. And it is Women's History Month. And I just want to call out that we did Elizabeth Warren wrong. And it's a real shame that it happened this month. It's a real shame it happened at all. But we, as a party and as a nation, need to figure out how to treat women better, especially the women who are put in their their lives. Literally, she's putting her life on the line to lead us. She may not be going out and getting guns aimed at her, but being president changes your whole life. And she was willing to do it. Now, Luke, it's interesting because... To me, and you can disagree with this, to me, this strikes me as a phenomenon that's relatively limited to the presidency. Um, Democratic women led the ticket in the U.S. House in 2018 elections, flipped a lot of seats that were held by Republicans. Um, A lot of them were women who had served in national security roles or came from uh, somewhat more conservative-leaning backgrounds. And Research demonstrates that when women do run, and a lot of these studies are done of congressional elections because there are just enough of them to do uh, quantitative studies on when women do run, when women do run, they win as often as men do in Congress. Um, But that does not seem to be extended 
to the presidency. What what do you think of that, and and what else is on your mind regarding this unfortunate result for Warren? So I think I've said this on the show before, but you know Elizabeth Warren was the candidate I was planning to support, and I am uh, very disappointed that I will not have the opportunity to vote for her. Uh, <laughs> I could still uh, pick her, but she is not running, so it, you know I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna vote for one of the two uh, candidates that remain. Uh, so with that, you know, note aside, I I think there's as I mentioned earlier, I think the obsession with being Trump brought out the worst in the Democratic Party and a lot of the Democratic electorate of just like running people through this impossible ringer. And really, you know, it was good because we kind of considered everybody, but it was bad because if you weren't a known established quantity for many of the voters, um, it was really hard for you to maintain your support. Because, uh, I mean, one thing that I think is really important to think about um with where we find ourselves in the race, and this is relevant to worrying, I promise, uh, is that, you know, like most people have probably gone back to their priors. Like, I feel like a lot of the people who voted for Joe Biden on Super Tuesday at one time said they were going to vote for Joe Biden and then they stopped considering it and then they went back to him. And I think what happened for Warren, for all the reasons Megan highlighted, but also to be fair, and I think it's important to criticize the people you support just as much as the people you don't, like Warren did not run a perfect campaign. Like, she started with the DNA test. She had a really hard time on explaining Medicare for all. And it's true that she was held to a much different standard than Bernie on that for a variety of reasons. Uh, and I, I think... In some ways, she created that standard for herself, too, with the I have a plan for that approach. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I think she did create those high standards for herself and you know it's one thing i've i've said about trump a lot is you know like if if george w bush had slept with michael Lewinsky, it would have ended his presidency because no one expects george w bush to do that in the same way donald trump like we expect him to do anything the thing that would make us like want to impeach trump is if he like read something we'd be so shocked that that is the thing we actually kick him out for uh because it would be so out of character and so for warren when she had these problems that seemed out of character for her, for when she seemed like she wasn't, you know, she was 98% prepared instead of 100% prepared, the standard that was applied to her was so much ridiculously higher than it would have been for anyone else. Um, and so I think that is really at the core what the problem is, is as you discussed previously, you know, the fact that Hillary Clinton and Warren, while incredibly different on policy issues, their general vibe for a lot of people was very similar in a way that like Amy Klobuchar was not like um, Hillary Clinton. Um, and as you said, I, I don't think this is a universal condemnation of the Democratic Party's willingness to elect women candidates. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has been our speaker for you know twice, and she's been our leaguer for a very long time in the House. Uh, many of the leadership positions in Georgia are held by women. And frankly, I'll be kind of shocked if Stacey Abrams is not the VP, especially if Joe Biden is the nominee. Um, and and I, I think it's just Trump anxiety has driven us insane. And I, I, I think um, had a woman been a, the most well-known candidate, the most established candidate uh, in the race, someone who, you know, like at the same stature of Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden of someone who had run for president before and got close and didn't quite make it. I kind of feel like they would have done better than Warren or even Kamala Harris or Amy Klobuchar, who 
you know, for a lot of people are new. And I, I think just the primary electric is very risk averse right now. Well, and I think one of the other things you'll find is if if Joe Biden does start to dominate this primary moving forward, maybe the bold progressive borderline democratic socialist ideas that were pushed from the left wing of the party. I mean, it's it's this is really the first election cycle where big ideas like those felt like they had momentum. Um, and obviously the champion of those is going to be one of the final two contestants in this race. So they seem to have momentum for a certain segment of the party, but they also don't seem to have momentum for a pretty significant part of the party. Regardless of the environment created by Trump, I don't really know that Democrats are really clamoring for single-payer health care the way that the left wing of the party would like people to think they are. So let's bring Georgia into this a little bit. Georgia, despite not going on Super Tuesday, actually feels like it's the state still may play a pretty important role in the primary contest. The candidate that seems to be best positioned to do well in Georgia is Joe Biden, given that he swept Southern state contests on Super Tuesday, given that his campaign uh, was brought back to life by South Carolina. Uh, Every state bordering Georgia, except for Florida, has now voted for Joe Biden. Um, And I saw a poll today that had uh, Joe Biden leading in Florida on the magnitude of like 60 to 16. Um, There are a lot of sort of non-Southern reasons that that Bernie may be struggling there. Um, But Megan, what is your outlook going forward about the role that Georgia could play in this contest? I'm really excited about Georgia's role in this contest. I think that we are being considered a new swing state. In fact, I know we are. So I think that a lot of our votes uh, will will potentially be a big deal and people will be keeping an eye on what Georgia has to say about this. I do think we are probably going to lean toward Biden if I'm going to make um, some educated guesses about what I know about the demographics here. Um But as far as like Biden sweeping or not, I'm not going to make any statements on that. I just think we'll lean toward Biden. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm pumped to live here and be a part of it. Uh, Luke, one person that seems to be pretty committed to uh, the way that the state is going to go is state senator and Democratic Party chair Nakima Williams. She plays an important role in this contest. What is her role and what did she say about how she would go about that role? So uh, State Senator Nikema Williams, who is also a DNC delegate because she is the party chair of Georgia, uh, you know, uh, she always chooses her words wisely. So I'm just going to quote her. She said, quote, as the leader of our party, it's my job to represent our voters. And I am uh, standing firmly and confidently with who Georgia voters decide. So that is a non-endorsement endorsement of Joe Biden, if I've ever heard one. Um, she was not the only one who has started to indicate that she is going to be supporting Biden. Uh, several folks in Georgia, like State Senator Jen Jurgen, have been Bloomberg supporters. Pretty much all of them I've got uh, have now switched to Biden, so they are following uh, Bloomberg's league in that. And then the uh, my my favorite my favorite quote um, just just for how for how colorful it is. Uh, State uh, Representative Al Williams said, "Quote: Sanders socialism scares me to death. He's tagged with it. He's got red paint on him, and he can't shake it off. They're uh, they're all going to be talking about communism all over South Georgia if he's the pick." 
Uh, so there are some strong feelings uh, from from some electeds in Georgia uh, about Sanders. Uh, so far, I haven't seen any new Sanders endorsements uh, from from folks. So it seems like the uh, people in Georgia who are willing to endorse uh, are endorsing Biden. And I, I think that has a lot to do with the strength that Biden has shown, especially in the South. I mean, Luke, all of that raises this dynamic that Joe Biden got this rush of endorsements, not just from Georgia, but from uh, moderate Democratic figures across the country, many people who had either been sitting on the sidelines or who had shifted their endorsements from other candidates. Megan, Bernie has not seen that kind of support from the party, and it seems that his campaign is beginning to become sensitive to that. Uh, Sanders released an ad this week right after Super Tuesday that was narrated uh, by former President Obama. They cut together some speeches where Obama had said nice things about Bernie and overlaid it on Bernie Sanders and Obama walking the halls of the White House. Bernie is somebody who has the virtue of saying exactly what he believes, great authenticity, great passion, and is fearless. Bernie served on the Veterans Committee and got bills done. I think people are ready for a call to action. They want honest leadership who cares about them. They want somebody who's going to fight for them. And they will find it in Bernie. That's right, feel the burn. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. What do you think about Bernie's relationship with the party? And do you think that his approach to the party has hurt him in this contest? I think that is a really difficult question, Kyle. Um, I could argue this point either way. Um, And part of it is that, you know, I can also argue my own support or my own non-support of Sanders either way. So what I think, I think what we've seen a lot from Sanders or at least from his, his, uh, I'm going to call them followers, voters, his supporters, um, his supporters, they feel like followers to me. What I've seen from them is this very like my way, the highway, my candidate or no candidate, really contentious behavior that is really kind of driving some issues within the party. Now, as far as Sanders himself, I think a lot of that does get attributed to him, but I don't know how much of that is actually coming from him. Now, I do wish that he would step in and like kind of say something to his supporters about like, hey, maybe that's not the way forward. Hey, we're playing on the same team, you know, something along those lines, but we're not seeing that. I don't know that we're going to ever expect that from him, especially not uh, during the primary. So I do feel like there is definitely a sense that Sanders isn't really, quote, friends with the party right now, that he's driving some issues. I also had somebody tell me today that he's not really a Democrat, that he's an independent. And I thought that was an interesting take on it. I didn't really know what to think of it at the time, um, but I could see their point. And I, I mean, that is that is a real point. Uh, that is something that Joe Biden <laughs> said uh, his his speech in South Carolina <laughs> was basically saying that, you know, Democrats want to support a Democrat, which pretty much is only aimed at uh, you know, Bernie, who argued also at that time was aimed at someone like Mike Bloomberg, but that that has been an attack. Um, I mean, even I, Tulsi, I think, De- even Tulsi Gabbard is a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, technically speaking, you know, our our third candidate incognito, can't, right? Who doing, we haven't talked something. about at all until just well, now. I mean, she got her one delegate in American she has two Samoa, Samoa. Oh, two delegates. All right, go two. land crabs. 
Um, you know, uh, she got her her um, American Samoa delegates, but um, I mean, at least Elizabeth Warren has twenty times the delegates that Tulsi Gabbard does. That's true. And it sounds that better is, when you say it that way. I mean, it really Elizabeth does. Warren, Elizabeth Warren is at least twenty times better than Tulsi Gabbard, so you know, it it, it does make <laughs> at, sense. At least, right? At least. Um, and I I think the problem here is, and I'm not going to claim this formation for myself as a reclining wrote a very great article on this. I suggest everyone reads it. I think one of the biggest problems that Bernie is running into and Bernie supporters is that they, they, and the, I, I'm going to put my own spin on his thoughts is basically they, they don't see the value in coalition building. Uh, they tend to think that everyone already agrees with them, but they just don't realize it. And if you just convince them hard enough that you already agree that you want socialism, that that is how you win and there's this like one percent of the world who doesn't agree with them and that's who's always holding them back and you know sure i mean it's true like having a billion dollars of advertising against you coming from a couple people like yeah that would hurt your campaign and that would be a few amount of people doing it but i think what we've seen with super tuesday and with all of the you know democratic endorsements like i know a lot of these state reps i can assure you they are not the Illuminati, they are not like some big high cabal <laughs> that like is it is connected to things and are controlling anything like they, they are like literally like country preachers who just like don't like socialism or they are like a lawyer in Atlanta who just, you know, they just prefer Joe Biden like this is and I, I think the, the thing that's really hurting Sanders here is that there is a, you know, a pretty healthy long window at the right time where he looked like the front runner and he had a, like a two or three week opportunity where he could have shifted his messaging and being like, yeah, we're, we're merging with the democratic party and the democratic party is coming around to our better policy views. And the revolution is happening with the party and we could have all been kumbaya of like, Oh yeah, this will be a fun project that we're doing together. And like, I think, I think the Bernie people just like truly don't understand that. Like I like being a Democrat. I like the democratic party. I like, you know, I'm a hack in that way. And like, there are plenty of people in primaries who are that way. And if your project is to win primary voters, constantly shitting on people who like the party is a really bad way to do it. Amen. Because, you know, again, to just, again, bias on sleeve, that I, I, you know, I, I, I'm just gonna say, I am an Elizabeth Warren supporter. Like, that's not gonna change. Um, like, the, the way that some of Bernie's supporters were so aggressive about, like, you need to get out because you're preventing, you are single-handedly preventing the revolution and, like, harassing her supporters on the internet, like, that is not go making me very enthusiastic about wanting to support his campaign. I'm sure that's not the case for the other folks. And so, you know, if Bernie is going to, like, if you told me Bernie won, what I would tell you Bernie did is that he found that conciliatory message and he found that unity message of let's do this together, Democratic Party, and got that buy-in. And I just haven't seen evidence of Bernie being capable of doing that. Um, and I, I wish he would, because even if he didn't win with that message, if he adopted that message, I think it would end this campaign on a more positive note. And, you know, for him, he should, because it'd probably give him a better chance of winning. I actually, you know, listening to you, Luke, I was going to argue that the thing that has not really been discussed in this conversation, we, you know, a lot of this looks pretty gloomy for Bernie Sanders right now. I think the one place 
where if you look at recent elections, he may have the upper hand on Joe Biden is on substantive issues. Um, and you've heard Bernie come back to these a little bit, and he's been more aggressive against Biden on Biden's uh, efforts to cut Social Security, on Biden's votes for the Iraq War, on Biden's votes for bad trade agreements, um, and on the differences, that the, the really giant difference that they have on health care, Bernie's support for Medicare for all, while Biden supports a an approach that would build on the ACA. Um, in his post Super Tuesday press conference, Bernie Sanders actually challenged Joe Biden to an hour long debate only on health care, which I know is really what the people want. Um, oh, no, please. Yeah. No, um, I would enjoy it. But like no one else would. I think yeah. you, I think me and Kyle would be the only people watching it be like, this is great. But yeah, I mean, I'd watch it and just Yeah, no, no, thank but, you. But I think one challenge for Bernie, even on the issues in uniting the party behind him, is when you look at the surge in suburban turnout, particularly in among college-educated, pretty well-off voters, is a lot of the issues that animated people who put Democratic, particularly Democratic women candidates over the finish line in suburban House districts were issues like gun violence uh, the quality of schools um, and returning a sense of normalcy and dignity to politics. And those, that sort of bucket of issues doesn't really match up very well with the issues that Bernie Sanders has taken the strongest stance on. And for the people who come from well-off suburban areas, they don't really find it all that compelling for for a revolution to America's healthcare system, but they do find it compelling that people who are in their family who may have pre-existing conditions should not get discriminated against in the insurance market, or that the minimum wage should be increased so that people who, you know, only went to technical college or, or didn't get as much education could still succeed in the job market. The, the approaches to policy that are more incremental or more moderate sort of make more sense to them within their own life experience. And that just isn't where Bernie sets himself. So I would think that like the one strength for Bernie Sanders going forward would be on the issues. But I think it also is a barrier to him broadening his coalition within the Democratic Party, unless he finds a different way to frame it, you know, that can be appealing to more moderate voters in the party, but also would keep the enthusiasm up among his base. I think that is a really tough problem for Sanders. And I, I would agree with you the other way besides conciliatory messaging would be hitting Biden on these issues. I think the Biden campaign and Biden himself have been really smart around these things because like we kind of make fun of Joe Biden for hugging Obama, but that is pretty much what he's done. And I think it's kind of erased a lot of his previous mistakes. And personally, I'm really okay with the politics of like genuine evolution on issues. I think that's how most human beings are. And like Bernie is an anomaly that he said the exact same thing for 30 years and that he is right a good amount of time. You know, he's wrong just as much as other people. The, the really, the real difference between 
other people in Bernie is the fact that Bernie just doesn't change. And uh, while a lot of other people, you know, sort of will make mistakes and make a lot of good decisions and bad decisions, but they uh, sort of, you know, they change which good decisions and which bad decisions they're making. Bernie's been consistent in all those for himself. Um, And so I, I think that is a path for him, but it's a very difficult path because candidates have been making these attacks towards Biden, like Kamala Harris very famously, and it just doesn't stick to him. And so I think he just hasn't found an issue that sticks because every time, you know, someone brings up an issue, Joe Biden says, yes, I may, you know, he will say something along the lines of, yes, that was 30 years ago and I made a mistake. And, you know, people have bought that answer. And I, I think, Biden did genuinely buy himself a lot of credibility in the Obama administration for being that can-do happy warrior VP who's like, if that's what you want to do, boss, I will support you 100% of the way. And the fact that, you know, on some issues, like gay marriage, he was ahead of Obama on the right position. And so I think that really did buy him a lot of credibility. And so if Sanders is able to find that issue, I would be really curious to see, like, what it is. Because you would think that something like the crime bill would just kill Biden. But he has huge support among African Americans and in the constituencies that like face the harshest repercussions of that bill. And so it's just it's very curious to me. And I, I don't know what issue it is that will actually work against him uh, because most of the obvious ones have been tried and didn't work. I think the issues that will work against him are not maybe specific issues, but the fact that he's not necessarily innovative when it comes to the issues that he really champions. Whereas you can say that Sanders is quite innovative. He's been championing issues and being a a vocal uh, proponent for issues that maybe don't get a lot of airtime with other people, or at least didn't before he really started championing them. And so I just keep coming back to this analogy that I heard that voting for president or voting for any politician is a lot more like taking a bus than driving a car. Uh, With a car, you can go exactly where you want to go. With a bus, you basically just get close most of the time and then you take yourself the rest of the way there. And so I keep coming back to which of these two candidates is going to get me closest to where I want to be and because Sanders is innovative and does care about some policies that are really important to me, he feels like he might get me closer at times. But because Biden is a safer candidate, is less contentious as a general rule, and also has some stances that I agree with, maybe that bus is actually the Biden bus. So I don't really know. But I think that it's not maybe specific policies because I think you're right, Luke. I think he has been tried on a lot of them. I think it's just like that get up and go that Sanders has that Biden doesn't. And I think that's why one of the biggest losses of four Democrats in this primary has been the loss of Marianne Williamson, because with Marianne (laughs) Williamson, you can teleport to another dimension to get exactly where you want to go. And that definitely bypasses traffic. All right, well, we have covered a lot of ground today. Any closing thoughts from y'all before we go? Yeah, I, I just, you know, I try so hard to make so few predictions on this show because every time I do, I'm wrong. So I, I'm just saying it right now. I was wrong. Joe Biden was not the Jeb Bush of this cycle. Uh, he did not flame out. I really thought he would. Uh, but, you know, that actually makes me feel better because the candidates that tried to take the Joe Biden spot with their millions and millions of dollars in, you know, Tom Steyer and uh, 
Michael Bloomberg just like completely fell on their face. So I'm happy that, you know, we screw up in a lot of other ways. We had a lot of great candidates that we just said, yeah, no, thanks. But at the very least, you can't buy the Democratic Party yet. <laughs> no, because Elizabeth Warren will keep you from doing it. <laughs> That's right. Elizabeth Warren, God bless you, because you <laughs> she definitely killed Bloomberg. I will say, though, Luke, maybe you were wrong on your prediction of, of Joe Biden being Jeb. You were right on... We, I was right someone would murder suicide. I was right that someone would do the Christy Marco Rubio. I, I know I called that, and I did. And I'm sad that it was uh, Warren, but I'm happy she aimed it at Bloomberg. Oh, well, I was actually, this is going to become a long closing thought now. I was thinking about that, and I actually didn't think that that model applied to what Warren did to Bloomberg. I think the thing that you were right on last week was I had laid out all this stuff that Joe Biden has no money, he has no infrastructure in all these super Tuesday states. How is he going to capitalize on what he did in South Carolina? And he just did it. He won in places that he never can. He he never he held a staff. campaign. He had event. one staffer. He had one office in California. He never which, held fair, a campaign yeah. event in Massachusetts, and he beat Massachusetts sitting senator with ha- with never having been there for a campaign event. Just he's wild. probably been there before though. He he went for a fundraising event, but no, I mean, it was all momentum. I mean, that's you know, it was all. That's why we focus so much on this question about Democrats' obsession with beating Trump and making their decision based on that. Because you don't have to go to a campaign event to make a decision about that. You just make that decision because you saw Biden kill it in South Carolina. No, I think that's right, and I I think this is a really important lesson going forward because when someone writes a very excellent long book on what happened in this primary they're they're going to talk about why all these other candidates failed and i think the reason why we got it down to uh bernie and biden like the academic reason the biggest two reasons would be because they had the clearest and most consistent rationales for why they should be the nominee i think we all know bernie's but Biden's is exactly what I said, like, months ago. His rationale is, hi, I am Uncle Joe. Things are scary and crazy and chaotic right now. Let me put you to sleep, America. It's going to be fine. Let me wear my aviators, and nothing bad will happen. And, like, Biden has made that clear from, like, day one. That's what his presidency would be. It would be boring, and uh, he can beat Trump. And once he's done that, it's great. We're just going to go back to normal. And I think people like are buying that, apparently. Um, and I, I think having that message from day one, you don't need a $600 million advertising budget. You can just, as the you know former vice president, you can just say that and the media will repeat it enough and people buy into it because they already know you. So chalk that up for a good prediction for you, Luke. Hooray. Yeah, good job, Luke. Megan, any closing thoughts? No, I think we have acquitted the topic admirably. All right. Well, then we are going to leave it there. Uh, we This, I think, was probably the biggest event early in this primary. It'll kind of muddle on until uh, we get to a winner. So we're going to turn our focus back to the legislature. I think I've been saying that for a couple of weeks and we haven't been doing it, but we're going to do that moving forward. That's my promise to you. For now, we are going to leave it there. So Megan, thank you for joining today's podcast. Thank you. And Luke, thank you as always. Go dogs. Alrighty, team. We'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Bye.
That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks as always to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all.